Good morning. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Zach Anderson, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Covenant. So glad to welcome you all to worship, and those of you worshiping online, maybe all of you are online right now, and uh, I'll just give you the benefit of the doubt that, uh, that you're still worshiping with us this morning. Uh, welcome, and our scripture reading today comes from the book of Jonah. And so if you would like to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to read chapter 1. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Let's receive God's word for us this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this time, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is God's word for us, the people of God. So let's give thanks. Father, I thank you for your saints gathered this morning in person and online, uh, ready to hear from you. So, Lord, um, you know where each of us is coming from. You know what each of us has going on in our lives. So I just ask that um, 
that you would speak directly to each of our hearts. Father, uh, I ask also that you would bind my tongue and my lips, that no false word would pass from them. And I ask that you would move me aside completely, that it would just be your word coming through your Holy Spirit to us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord, for you love us, and we love you too. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jonah, uh, this morning we're kicking off a four-week series on the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. It's four chapters, coincidentally, four weeks, four chapters. You can do math. Uh, Today is chapter one. And uh, there is a argument surrounding the book of Jonah that's been going on for many, many, many years. And the argument is surrounding, is this story fact or fiction? Is it fact or fiction? The reason for this argument is the story of Jonah is pretty fantastic, right? There's this man who gets invited by God to go and share a warning with the people of Nineveh, but he runs the other way. He gets thrown into the sea, and he gets swallowed up by a fish who swims him back over to, towards the homeland and spits him up, and then he, he goes to Nineveh, and it's just this crazy story that seems impossible. And so some people have decided, well, I think it's probably just an allegory, right? There's no way this could literally happen. It's just an allegory meant to teach us a message. Um, I don't know where you stand on this issue. This may be the first time you've heard of this issue. Um, I lean towards the historical side that this is a true account. However, wherever you lie on this subject, we um, really, it doesn't matter too much for our purposes, Here's why. Historical accounts in Scripture and allegorical accounts in Scripture are both the same. They're meant for us, and they're meant to teach us a lesson. Um, And so we can learn a lesson whether we think this is history or allegory. Uh, This is God's word for us. So Jonah, uh, he's instructed by God to go to Nineveh. But instead, he heads towards Tarshish. Now, to give you some geography to get a picture of what this was like, here is Jonah at the start of Jonah chapter 1. He's in the land area of Samaria uh, near Joppa. And Nineveh, where he's called to go, is 550 miles approximately to the northeast. Okay, Tarshish is where Jonah decides to go. And Tarshish, if this is Samaria and Joppa, is 2,500 miles to the west. So Tarshish and Nineveh are approximately 3,000 miles apart. Now to give you a picture of what this is like, the United States from the very easternmost coast to the westernmost coast is about 3,000 miles across. And so Jonah is told by God, go to Nineveh, and he does the exact opposite. Have you you ever had your kids come to you before bed, and they're like, hey, can I have a snack? And you're like, no, sorry, you you didn't eat your vegetables. It's time to go to bed, no snack. And then you're going about your business, and you hear a noise in the pantry. Some of you laughing because this happened to you like this weekend already. You hear a noise in the pantry, 
and your kid's in there eating a snack, and you're like, you're eating a snack, and you're not in bed. This is the exact opposite of what I told you to do. This is Jonah. He's doing the exact opposite of what God told him to do. So Jonah's running away from Nineveh, and we ask the question, why? Jonah, you see, was a prophet, and a prophet was a spokesperson for God to the people of God. So Jonah, on a regular basis, would receive messages from the Lord and deliver them to his people. But this message struck him a little different. It struck him as one that he couldn't deliver, he thought. Why is that? Well, the message, I mean, it sounds like a pretty regular prophetic message. God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. All the time the prophets were used to give warnings to sinful people. They're headed towards their own destruction. And God says, hey, you're headed towards destruction. Turn back and be saved from yourself. Sounds like a regular prophetic message. But there's one key difference. You see, at this time, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And I'm sorry if I just made all your iPhones talk. Uh, The capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was a violent nation. And they would come through and conquer cities left and right. And they would come in and they would make a big public spectacle. And they would drag the leaders out, the leaders of the city, the king or the governor. And they would torture and kill them in a very gruesome way. And they were intending to send a message. And they would do it in front of the new leader that they were going to appoint in his place. And after they made this spectacle, they would put in place this new leader and say, this is what will happen to you if you don't do exactly what we say. And then they would exact fierce taxes from the nation. And they just went all over the known world at this time doing this over and over again. Assyria was Israel's enemy number one. Number one enemy. And so here's the difference about this prophetic word. This is the first and really the only time that a prophet of the Lord is sent with a message of warning to one of God's people's enemies. So why does Jonah run away? Well, hearing about the violence of Assyria and Nineveh, you might think Jonah was afraid to go there and say, hey, you're going to be destroyed because then he's like, well, they're going to destroy me if I tell them that. And he may have been afraid, but the scripture doesn't actually say that. This is what the scripture says as to why Jonah ran the other way. It's in verse 3. It says it it two times in this verse. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish, here it is again, to flee from the Lord. Jonah wasn't running away from Nineveh. He was running away from God. And you might be thinking like, 
well, Jonah, that's pretty stupid because don't you know God is everywhere? Like you can't get away from his presence. It says he's running away from God's presence. You can't do that. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. I'm going to tell you this because I love you too much not to tell you. You and I are no strangers to the idea of running away from God's presence. You and I are no strangers to the idea of running away from God's presence. And you might be saying, no, Zach, you're wrong. I don't ever run away from God's presence. God is my Savior. Why would I run from Him? And it may not be as overt as Jonah in the story where he's physically fleeing God's presence. But let's talk about this. Okay, the way I see it, there are two main ways that we run from God's presence. The first way is this. The first is when we don't want to do something that God has invited us to do. I'll tell you a story. When, when I was 13 or 14 years old, I was walking around my neighborhood and I saw a couple of older teenage boys like across the street. And I think one was on a bike and one was on a skateboard. And instantly, upon the moment that I saw them, the thought entered my heart. Go and share the gospel with those teenagers. And immediately following that thought, um, there came up many fears. And I thought to myself, man, I don't really know what to say. I thought to myself, well, they probably don't want to hear from me. They probably don't want me to interrupt them. It looks like they have somewhere that they're going on their bike and their skateboard, and I'll just be an annoyance. And I also thought to myself, well, these guys are too cool for me. I mean, look, one of them's on a skateboard. I'm just the nerdy homeschool kid who walks around barefoot in the neighborhood. And the end of the story is that um, I didn't. I didn't go talk to him. Here's the point. If you remain in God's presence, you're going to do what he's inviting you to do. If you remain in God's presence, you're going to do what he's inviting you to do. You can't just sit there with God in full connection with God and say, nope, not going to do it. And he's like, well, I want you to do this. I'm inviting you to join me in this work. Nope, not going to do it. And you're just not going to sit there and win that battle. Okay, the way to get away from that battle is you have to leave God's presence. When you don't do the thing that he's inviting you to do, you're running away from God's presence. The second way that we flee God uh, is when we do want to do the things that he doesn't want us to do. When we want to sin against God. This one's a little more obvious, okay? You're, you're not going to sit there in God's presence, full connection with God, and just open up your computer and watch some pornography. You're just not going to do it. You're not going to sit there in full communion with God and intentionally or accidentally, carelessly, have too much to drink and get drunk in, in front of God's presence. You're just, you're not going to do it. If you're in full communion with God, you're not going to take hold of your sin. 
And so when you run to your sin, you're running away from God. They just can't, you can't hold on to both at the same time. Now Jonah, he's literally running away from God's presence. The, the Hebrew word is panin, and it means face, God's face. He's trying to get away from the face of God. He's running because he doesn't want to do the thing that God's inviting him to do. So why doesn't Jonah want to deliver this message? I mean, he's a prophet, right? This is his job. Well, God invited Jonah to be a part of warning Nineveh that their sin is leading them to destruction. Remember, Nineveh is Israelites' enemy numero uno. God says, I want you to be a part of this warning. To be a part of stopping them down their path to destruction. To be a part of their being saved. And in chapter 4, verse 2, we get a little look into Jonah's heart in response to this invitation. I have to give a spoiler alert. Okay, At the end of this book, Jonah winds up in Nineveh. He delivers the message. The Ninevites repent, and God has mercy on the Ninevites. Generally, my rule, like with movies and spoiling them, is 10 years or older, and I get to spoil it from the stage. If you don't know the end of this story yet, I'm sorry, but you've had like 3,000 years to read it. So we're jumping ahead to the end just for a second. God invites Jonah to be a part of his message of mercy to Nineveh, and this is his response. He prayed to the Lord and said, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home back in chapter 1? That is what I was trying to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah says, this is just like you, God. This is just like you to offer mercy to someone who repents. It's right in your character. I was trying to stop you from doing this back in chapter 1. That's why I ran away. I was telling you this when I was back home. Jonah is furious at the audacity of God to offer mercy to the undeserving. This is why he was so angry. Jonah, you see, he loves his people Israel. He loves his nation. But he's afraid. He's afraid that if their number one enemy the violent, horrible conqueror Assyria, Nineveh, gets mercy that it will come at the cost of the destruction of Israel. And he just can't trust God with the care of his nation. It's an idol for him. He loves it too much that he can't trust God to offer mercy to Nineveh and protect Israel. And so he takes matters into his own hands. Back in chapter 1, he runs from God. When Jonah runs from God, how does God respond? Let's look at verse 4. Then 
the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. See, Jonah was trying to run away from God. And God sent him a storm that stopped him right in his tracks. Now, was this a vengeful response by God? Was God like, oh, you're going to disobey me? Well, take this storm. No. This isn't a vengeful response from God. This is an act of love and mercy. You're trying to run away from me. I want to be with you, Jonah. I love you, Jonah. Come back. Don't run from my presence. He sends him a storm to stop him in his tracks so that he can't get away. Stay with me. Stay with me. Church, there's this idea out there that when bad things happen to good people, it proves that there can't be a good and loving God. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. When bad things happen to good people, it proves that there is a good and loving God. Because here's the thing. Sometimes God sends you a storm in your life to stop you in your tracks. Sometimes God sends you a storm in your life to stop you in your tracks. He says, I love you too much to let you stay on this path to your own destruction. You're trying to run away from me. There is no life apart from me. There's no hope apart from me. Come back. And sometimes God sends us a storm in our lives to bring us back. Now, I know this can be a sensitive subject, and so let's dig in a little further. Am I saying that every bad thing that happens in your life is sent by God at you? No, I'm not saying that. Sometimes the things that happen in your life, God is sending you a storm. Other times God is allowing a storm because of sin, right? The natural consequence for sin is pain and death, okay? You, you are an alcoholic and you might be separated from your family. It's a natural consequences. However, this is what we do know. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that all things God works together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So your storm, whether it's sent by God as an act of love and mercy or it's allowed by God and used for your good as an act of love and mercy. It puts a different perspective on pain. And so I ask you, church, do you trust God enough that when you face a storm, you are able to say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you in the storm, and I'm going to stay. 
Do you trust in God's goodness enough that when a storm comes, you can say, I know this isn't an act of vengeance upon me. God is good. Do you trust in God's love enough to believe that when a storm comes your way, it won't destroy you, but it'll save you from destroying yourself? Do you trust in God's supremacy enough to believe that no matter how great and powerful the storm, God is Lord above it all? Church, do you trust in God's mercy enough to believe all of those things are true even when you're confronted with the messiness of your own sin and you feel like you deserve it? And Satan wants to say, this is punishment. You deserve this. You don't deserve that. You have Jesus. Jesus satisfied every sin of yours at the cross. Do you trust in God's mercy enough to believe that when a storm comes, all of that is still true? God is good. God is love. God is supreme. I know that this is easier said than done, okay? I know this is hard. I have suffered in my life. I know it's hard. I know that trusting God doesn't always look like some heroic faith that moves mountains. I know that sometimes the mountain-moving faith just looks like being able to stay and lay there and take it. And it's all you can do to not run, but you stay. Trusting that God will take care of you. I'm going to leave you with this passage of scripture that describes this process of how suffering is used for our good. It's Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. It's not going to be on the screen. So I invite you to just sit. You can close your eyes. Just let this word from God wash over you. Paul writes to the church and says, Therefore, because we have been justified through faith, because God has declared that we are righteous through faith, we have peace with God. We are not God's enemies. We are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, but not only in the glory of God. No, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, in Jonah, we are going to learn a lot from his mistakes. He didn't trust God enough with the care of him and his people, and so he ran. 
But friends, God is not a vengeful father. He's a loving father. Do you trust him enough? Won't you trust him enough? In the middle of the storm, to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, for my God is trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, uh, help us with this. Help us with this because some of us are in a storm right now and it's really hard. It's really hard to trust you when faced with a storm. And help us with this, Father, because many of us aren't in the midst of a storm, but a storm is coming. A storm is coming. And so help us, Lord, when we are faced with the storm, be it now or in the future, to trust you enough to stay, to worship you anyways, and to stay in your presence. Help us, Lord, because you love us, because you are willing to offer help to your sons and daughters. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus who gives us this access through faith into your grace. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.